As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined once again this season by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. We'll call this the official season debut of State of the Nation. Obviously, we had our training camp preview a couple weeks ago. But from now on out, every week you've got us uh, post-game after every regular season game. We won't have post-game shows uh, for the preseason, so sorry. We will not be here Thursday night to break down the Hall of Fame game. But we will talk about it next week, and we'll talk a little bit about it here on this show. But uh, how's everybody doing? Doing good, man. Doing fired up. Got some a break from these early mornings and stand out in the sun for two hours. I'm feeling great. Ready for a season. Right, well, the Raiders are... So J- right, Jimmy Raiders wasn't asking back. how I was doing. He was just asking how Vic <laughs> is. Yeah, yeah, he didn't, like, didn't care he didn't, about he didn't, you. He didn't wait for an answer for me. It just get, get, It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. You got to jump in there, man. All right, well, the Raiders are back in Canton, Ohio, getting ready for that Hall of Fame game, and we'll talk a little bit about it. I mean, we know a normal preseason game is like a, a 5 out of 10. The, the Hall of Fame game's 2 out of 10. I mean, and 5 out of 10 might be generous for for a normal one. I mean, the Hall of Fame game, uh, the Raiders are playing the old four preseason games this year, so we we already know, I mean, that, that not a whole lot of people are going to play, but uh, we'll be an opportunity to see some of the young guys. But what we wanted to do is start off this show. We're going to talk a little bit about the offense, kind of break down each position group. Next week, we will get to the defense. Uh, that'll be a little bit better after we have a chance to see them play a game, because I know for, for Vic and Deshaun, um, in training camp, I'm only getting to see training camp through photos that, that come through the wires, and uh, Vic wrote about the cornerback group the other day, and, and, and I'm looking through the photos, and Black jerseys do not exist uh, in, in the photographer's eyes, and for you guys, uh, not so much either, right? Yeah, because of as Vic, you know, his beautiful artwork that, that is worth millions, I'm sure by now. In OTA, it's like we're on the furthest field away, and they have three fields outdoors, and defense does individuals on the third field, and so it's like 
you know, there's the offense in front of you, then there's like people standing in between. And so not only is it like far away, but there's like a bunch of shit in the way of trying to see whatever they're doing over there, which seems to be purposeful. And we can't walk down there because of reasons unknown. And so, yeah, we only really see the defense during team drills, which they don't do a ton of so far throughout OTAs and training camp. So defense is a mystery. Binoculars aren't working too well. They work. Well, I can only see like, you know, like five yards of action with whatever the, the binoculars are focused in on. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm missing a lot of shit over there. I mean, the Raiders are going to be an offensive team, so that's fine. Let's we'll watch the offense. I mean, that's what it's all about this year anyway. So we had some close uh, views of all those catches in the end zone. Devontae Adams every day has looked phenomenal. So just, uh, yeah, whatever. I guess that's what's important. So that's what we'll, uh, we'll watch. 35-28 every game? Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but. Again, if they're not a top five offense, something went really wrong because they have the talent and uh, definitely they have the coaching staff that you would think to accentuate those talents. So uh, I'm looking at a lot of points on offense this year. Gruden had that uh, that screen in the back of the end zone where you can see replays. They don't have that anymore? That's gone. Yeah, we used to be able to walk along the sides and everything. I was like, oh, man, this is what's going on here. We can't, we can't see shit now. It's terrible. We need to get him back to Napa, man. Napa was great. Yeah, Napa was the best. Napa was the best as far as getting guys off the field. You could walk to either field. You could you could go sideline, end zone, either sideline. You couldn't go down the middle of the two fields, but we only had the two fields. We could walk. I mean, especially when you'd hang out in that that one back end zone, you could kind of see both fields, and you got the shade. It was uh, nostalgic, but uh, Napa is gone, and it doesn't sound like it's ever coming back. But let's talk about this offense and. You know, normally you kind of start with quarterback and stuff. You start doing position group breakdowns. We're not going to do that uh, because I'm, I'm going to start with the one group that you know, Vic said it, it, this group is not a top five offense, that something's gone wrong. Well, I think there is one group that we all agree is probably the potential reason they would not be a top offense. So let's talk offensive line. The biggest question mark probably on the roster Um you know, I know, Vic, you kind of mentioned the secondary is, is maybe the number two. But we all know offensive line is the biggest question mark on this roster. Um, you know, I know you guys kind of wrote going into camp that you know, maybe the two surest things, I mean, Colton Miller at left tackle and and potentially uh, Denzel Good at, at right guard. Uh, that was you know, contingent on him coming back from his torn ACL, which is never easy and obviously proved to not be uh, easy because he retired. So how is this group looking? I mean, we won't really know until uh, we see them strap it on against another team. But what are we what are we expecting at this point out of this uh, starting offensive line? Yeah, still concerned. Still concerned. I mean, like, it, I guess we have two new opening day starters, at least on pace right now, would be, you know, Lester Cotton at right guard and Brandon Parker at right tackle. Obviously, Parker started most of the games at right tackle last year, but he started the year as, as a backup. And, and, and so those are really the, the two new faces, I guess, in the room, um, even though they, they were guys that were on the roster last year. You see Dylan Parham a little bit. Um, he's lined up at three different positions, left guard, center, and right guard. And we've seen him work in with the first team at times. But the five-man unit, you know, as we said, Colton Miller, John Simpson, Andre James, Cotton, and, and Parker seems to be pretty set. And at least on paper, that's not the most impressive unit that, that we've seen. Um, you know, there's not a lot of reasons so far based off of, you know, practice to believe that the, the unit's going to be drastically improved from last year. As you said, we got to see how they perform in games before we say that they're markedly improved or anything of that nature. But um, I think it's going to continue to be a concern until we see them, you know, prove us otherwise. You know, it'd be interesting to see. Um, starting tomorrow, you know, typically, you know, as you said, they don't really play starters that much in the preseason. But given that there's, you know, competition at, at really three spots uh, on the offensive line, you would you would think that they would play some of those guys so they can 
try to separate, you know, who's better than who. Um, and so I, I think that may be one position on the offensive line where we see starters or projected starters play more than, than anywhere else. I'm always very, uh, very positive, so I'm going to start this with a very positive note. I think the Raiders will have great depth on the O-line. I think um, with Leatherwood, uh, even Lester Cotton, if he doesn't win the job, I think he'll be on the roster as a backup guard. Uh, Dylan Parham, the rookie. So that's three guys who uh, you really have some nice depth there on the O-line. So above that, in terms of the starters. <laughs> is that good depth, or is that the starters and the backups are basically just the same there's no drop off from the starters and a backup (laughs) because they're both here again i'm being positive but i think i mean cotton i mean they could be we 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 don't know they they could they could shock i mean cotton's been one of the stories at camp we talked to him the other day it was great just in terms of his journey and being cut four times you find religion he kind of got in in, in shape but also mentally doesn't work also in terms of getting his confidence up but just a guy who's kind of place himself in this roster. Whether or not he starts is yet to be seen, or we'll see in the, these preseason games. I think the the two joint workouts with the Patriots on the 23rd, 24th will be huge as far as getting this roster really set up and which guys are going to start. So I think if Cotton can be the guy, it's great. If not, they'll sign somebody else either in the next few weeks or a guy off waivers once um, teams make their cuts or some veteran guys will be available. So I think that spot will be kind of in flux a little bit. I think Brandon Parker is seems to be beating out Leatherwood at right tackle. I'm not sure what the plan is with Alex, if they go back to him at guard at some point and see if he can do that a little bit. But um, I'll be surprised if Parker's not the guy there at right tackle. They like him. He's gotten better over the years. Some fans still think he's bad. Uh, Ted Wynn's not a big fan of all that. But uh, I got that guy who's worked hard and gotten better. So, yeah, it's still a question mark. But um, uh, Dylan Parham, I think, is a guy they like in terms of when he can contribute this year, next year, I'm not sure. But he'll definitely be a starter at some point. So, I'm focusing on the depth. The depth is great. Above that, we'll have to wait and see. Have we seen much in the way of, you know, full contact, one-on-one drills? That, I mean, that, that's usually, I mean, those are, I think, pretty much everybody's favorite drill to watch in training camp, O-line versus D-line, one-on-one drills. And that's where you can start to get an idea of, you know, has has this guy improved his strength? Has he improved his agility? Have, have we seen any of that, really? They started off pretty slow. The first few days of training camp were you know, pretty similar to like OTAs. They didn't have pads on for one, so any sort of one-on-one wouldn't have meant much anyway. But even in the padded days, there were there weren't a ton of competitive kind of periods where it was offense versus defense. And when the one-on-ones do happen, they unfortunately move to further away fields as well. And so it's been a little difficult to see. Like I don't want to say like somebody looks good or not because I can kind of see glimpses here and there, but not consistent reps going through all the time. And so it would seem like the offensive line is they're not getting manhandled out there. I don't notice that a ton of guys, you know, falling on the ground or getting embarrassed or anything crazy like that. You know, that also may be a product of the defensive line being very shorthanded um, throughout camp. You know, as I think as, as we mentioned, you know, Bilal Nichols and Jonathan Hankel, Hankins being on the pup list. You know, Kyler Fackrell just went on IR. Chandler Jones has missed a few few practices. So that defensive line group has been pretty shorthanded. So. I would hope the offensive line has looked okay, which it has. And so I don't, I don't know if that's the the, be, the best litmus test, though. They've been going against a lot of second, third team guys on the defensive line. And so being the starting unit, you know, you would hope they'd be decent. So I got, it's hard to make too many takeaways about whether they're looking improved or not until we see them go against a little bit better competition, I would say. It has been very light as far as um, contact. And it hasn't been very physical at all to watch these camp practices. I think um, there was one time when the, like, we saw the third team on the line against the first team D-line. And Elmanor did a good job against Max Crosby. He's been at right tackle. He's a guy who could slide back in the guard if needed. So he's a guy who may be also on the list of possible uh, guys that they look to. But, um, yeah, it's not been very physical, I think. And like, like Deshaun mentioned, 
injuries on defense, I think probably Josh McDaniels, if you wanted to do more stuff, you maybe like hold back because you've lost a handful of guys already on defense. So maybe you don't want to go too much and risk more guys getting hurt. So it's been kind of a, I don't want to say soft, but definitely not uh, a hard-hitting uh, a bunch of workouts that we've had to watch. We talked a little bit about it pre-show, but is uh, Bayer Munford the seventh-round pick? Is that a real thing? Is that some, something to watch out for, potentially? Break him down, Tashawn. Break him down. No, no offense to the rookie, but, like, that was, like, the first day, like, since, like, OTAs or training camp that he got, like, any kind of, like, legitimate or meaningful, like, snaps. And it was, like, I don't even think it was against the defense. I think it was just, like, offense-only drill or something like that. So I, I would not read too much into that. You know, maybe he can, can compete to make the roster as a depth depth guy at tackle, um, depending on what they go go with. You know, I know Vic Vinch and Illuminor, I would imagine he'd be another guy that's in the mix for that role. And so, you know, maybe he can make the 53-man roster, but he's not He's not going to be starting. He's going to be Brandon Parker or, or Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. We can put all the other stuff to, to bed at that position. Vic, can you evaluate the, the mood for me of, of Alex Leatherwood? Can you, can you tell me what's it, what his, his demeanor has been like, particularly in press conferences? It also, it's just like Alex is never, like, they act like he's like this chipper guy that walks in every day. What's up, everybody? How you doing? Because he's loqu- loquacious, long answers. Like, he's always been kind of brooding and short and doesn't seem that excited to be there. Like, he was just like he was every other day. Like, I mean, uh, I'm sure he's not thrilled about not being a surefire starter, but he, his demeanor wasn't any different than, than usual. And it was bedtime. They brought him in the day after the practice, after practice, where Munford actually had the, the reps over him where he was on. So Alex was the third team for a while that day. So I think that was just a bad timing. But uh, he's a guy who's worked hard. He's got in shape. He definitely looks better now than he did last year. Uh, but again, new new regime. He, he He's not their guy. So I think he's trying to fight for a spot. And I don't think he'll be starting at right tackle. But again, you never know. We still got a month to go. And Maybe he does well in these games or against the Patriots in those workout days. But, um, yeah, his, like the shots, his, he's a very serious guy, kind of soft-spoken. So I wouldn't say he was depressed that day or, like, he's despondent. I think he's still he's plugging away, doing it all he can. But he realizes that, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is at this point. He can't really, uh, you know, demand a spot or, or think a spot's his because it's not the way it works right now. I do understand, though, the, the concern about him being in the role that he is so far because, you know, Brandon Parker – he really wasn't much better than Leatherwood was in his starts at right tackle last season. So there's, you know, there's the concern of him not being able to beat him out apparently, but also at guard, you know, you know, Leatherwood played right guard last year and apparently they prefer Lester Cotton there, who I, I believe has like five offensive snaps in his career to this point. And so it's not just not being able to beat out Parker, but also apparently not being able to beat out a guy who hasn't really played at right guard. And so, I get fans concerned with that, but as Vic said, I mean, you know, we've seen it this off season, this past off season, the previous re- or this regime doesn't have any; they aren't being tied to the decisions of the previous regime, whether that's free agency signings or draft picks. So just because he was a first round pick doesn't mean all that much because he wasn't their first round pick, and so they don't have to have him be a part of the plans if he's not meeting the bar that they set. Whereas Munford was their pick, so there you go. Munford's their guy, yeah. so watch out for seventh it. rounder. Hey, pick seventh a pick. Rounder. A pick is a pick. <laughs> I mean, what what they'll have, like four picks, five picks five, in this draft. So, yeah. I mean, any, anybody they did pick, they, it, it carries extra weight. That's their guy. That's their guy. All right, let's move on to our next position group. We will now circle back to quarterbacks. And um, we all know what the deal is. Derek Carr, he's extended. He's here. He's got his best friend. But let's talk a little bit about the backup competition. Jarrett Stidham, Nick Mullins, um, Chase Garber is obviously more just the, he's the camp arm kind of guy. But is, is there any real competition? Is it? Between Stidham and, and Mullins, what what do we think there? I mean, Stidham's obviously a Patriots guy. They've got him in there. They they know him. Do we expect he's going to be the backup? 
I don't really see them carrying three guys. I don't see any need to carry three quarterbacks. So you kind of figure Carr and Stidham are going to be the group, or does Mullen still have a chance to move into that number two role? Well, my read is that it's definitely Stidham's job to lose. I think he'll be the guy. I'd be surprised if he's not the number two guy. And I think um, I could change if Mullins had a great preseason and, and Stidham stunk it up. Maybe that changes the way they think. But they like that he knows the system so well. He's kind of been a coach on the field. Uh, he's got some ability. I'm not going to dog him. But obviously, he's not going to play much, ideally. So he's just a guy who can come in and be a placeholder if things go wrong at some point. But uh, in my reads, he's, he's going to be the guy. It's not really a, a competition at all. Yeah, it hasn't been much back and forth. I guess it shouldn't be a surprise since Stidham, you know, he played in that, that system up in New England for three years, and so he got off to a head start. I figured it would be Mullins just off of the experience advantage because Stidham, you know, while he's been in that system, he hasn't really played that much, whereas, you know, we've seen Mullins start some games and win some games, and, you know, he almost beat the beat the Raiders last year when he was, when he was on the Browns. And so at least so far, it seems like Stidham's the guy. But, you know, as Vic said, maybe, you know, preseason games, maybe maybe Mullins can kind of catch up a little bit and put himself more in the mix. But yeah, for right now, it seems pretty clear cut. Derek Carr and, and Jared Stidham are, are leading the way there. And um, I don't think we're going to see much, if any, of Derek Carr tomorrow. So probably get a good look at, at Stidham. With Carr, we're definitely taking for granted because you look around the league and you see like reports of like Fields, the Bears, or Trubisky having awful days at camp and the workout, you know, people are going crazy. But And Carr is just so smooth. That's why these things are a little boring to watch because the ball really hits the floor. It's, he's holding command. It's just like boom, 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 every drill down the field. So it's kind of like you take it for granted uh, during camp. I just think it's one of the reasons why we kind of sometimes are nodding off in the heat because it's uh, it's pretty efficient. It's not really exciting. And I just think uh, people kind of uh, – that's what you get when you get Derek Carr in, you know, in the preseason game – well, not a game, but in preseason format or training camp. He's going to excel. He's going to look great, and he does so far. Yeah, Carr looks pretty smooth. It seems like he's picked up on this game pretty quickly. You know, he's he's – a guy that's benefited from being with the same team throughout his career, but he's also kind of had the the downside of having a bunch of different play cards. I, f- I figure he has as many different play cards as anybody in the league that's, that's still active right now, but um, it hasn't, doesn't seem like there's been much of a issue. There's not a ton of, I don't think he's throwing interception so far that I've seen in OTAs or training camp, or, like you said, any glaring errors or, or places where it looks like there are communication issues. And I'm, I'm sure there's been hiccups that we that we're maybe not as tuned into, but it seems like, He's pretty much hit the ground running with this with scheme change to McDaniels. It would seem like with uh, with Mullins, maybe the key this camp is really for him to kind of get familiar with the offense. And do either of you see any need for them to keep three? But there is the expanded practice squad, so he could maybe be your practice squad guy or at the very least a guy that, okay, he, he had an offseason to camp here with you. If something happens to Carr, to Stinham in the season, you he's the guy that you could bring in and as your as your third quarterback, as your backup if you need it. Yeah, having him on the practice squad would be a great luxury for them. And for him, it's a sweet, you know, it's 120 grand for doing nothing. So it's a good job for him. And I think that'd be great for them to have a guy, an insurance policy in place. The guy knows the system, like you said, had some success when he played in the league. So to me, that's an ideal scenario for, for both those guys. All right, let's move on to the running back position. And we know Josh Jacobs is, is there and presumed to be the starter and, and to get, you know, maybe not. All the carries, bulk of the carries, but, uh, you know, he'll be the lead back. Um, if you look at the depth chart, what's interesting is the two guys that they have listed second are Brandon Bolden and Zamir White. And then Kenyon Drake is listed as uh, as a third guy along with Bertain Brown. Um, you know, Mir Abdullah is way down there, Austin Wal- Walter. Um, I mean, Vic, I know you've been high on Zamir White. You've kind of hinted that you wouldn't be surprised if he has has a decent role as a rookie. Um, you know, where do you think they're, they're at with that running back group? Um, you know, I think... 
seeing Kenyon Drake listed so low is, is maybe a little bit of a surprise, but he is coming back from injury. And there are some random things on, on the Raiders depth chart that are, that are kind of hard to explain. Yeah. I think White's been back now for I think four or five days. He was nicked up at the start of camp. So I'm not sure he'll play tomorrow night, but I think he'll be a factor still. I think they like him. Uh, the quarterback coach the other day mentioned how he's uh, got good balance. He's strong. He definitely learned the system pretty quickly. So I still think he'll be a factor in this whole thing. Um, as far as Drake, I think it'll be more of like the use an old John Gruden term. He'll be a joker. He'll be one of those guys who kind of move around the field a little bit and can make plays in the slot, line up, line up outside and the running backs. But I think he'll have a role, especially in the red zone. I'm just not sure if he'll be a, you know, a standard running back type role. But um, in terms of touches, I think he'll still get his, his share of touches and be a factor in, in this offense. I think Jacobs, you know, while we have talked a lot about them shifting to more of a running back by committee, I think when you're talking about design run plays, I, I do think he's still going to take like the majority of the carries. I don't think it's going to be, you know, guys swapping in and out on a play by play basis with that as long as he's able to stay healthy, of course. Um, it was Zemir White. I think it's, it's been hard to judge him because, you know, as Vic said, he's been, even the OTAs, he missed a good amount of practices and training camp. He wasn't out there for the start of it. Um, and obviously there's not that much contact for, for running backs or anybody um, in these practices so far. So it's, I can't really say he looks all he's physical, bruising out there, running guys over like we haven't seen that. And so uh, we'll, we'll see if he's ready for Thursday. But if not, I'm sure at some point this preseason we'll see him. Because I doubt, you know, Josh Jacobs are going to make him available to those kind of blows um, in the preseason. So, you know, maybe, you know, he can kind of compete with Brandon, Brandon Bolden for that third, fourth, you know, kind of rotational running back role. But I still think it's going to be pretty clearly Jacobs leading the way in, in the backfield this year. You know, Drake is going to come back eventually, but it's not going to get a ton of time in the offseason running, running this offense. But, you know, I, I would think just based on Josh Jacobs' injury history and based on how the Patriots have rotated their running backs, that they would want Zemir White to split carries with, with Jacobs just to, you know, for the sake of keeping him healthy. So, you know, I, I think if he is able to get some reps into training camp and, kind of solidify him in that role, you know, like, like Vic believes, I, I think White could have a significant role as a rookie. I'm a little bit concerned, Vic, about you, you know, with Kenyon Drake. If, if he's fitting into that joker role, as John Gruden liked to describe, the history of, of guys that, that John Gruden uh, described as, as being his jokers, I, I just kind of glancing at some of them. We got Derek Carrier. And Lid Bowden are, uh, I think, the two most recent examples of guys that were jokers for him. Um, so l- let's hope he, he's better for the Raiders than, uh, than, than a joker. That's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't realized the rich history of that position. Uh, that was <laughs> yeah, it's not good. <laughs> rich history. <laughs> um, I was going to say about going back to Josh, Josh Jacobs, I will say he's definitely in good shape. He looks like he worked hard this offseason. And He's caught more balls in this camp than he has in previous camps. So I think that's probably a sign of this offense, what it wants to do, get the running backs involved in the passing game. So I know fantasy guys are looking for any kind of nugget. There's one for you. I think Josh Jacobs will probably catch more balls than he did last year. Breakdown fullbacks. Breakdown fullbacks. Let's do it. Jakob Johnson. Pronounce Jakob. That's the, Jak- the, 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 the What I'm disappointed about is that I wish it was Jakob Johnson. So it like would keep the, the same, uh, the same sound. That's pretty but, good. Jak- but Jakob Johnson, their German fullback. He's not going to touch the ball as much as a guy like Alec Ingold. He's he's more he's going to be more of a blocker. Um, really just going to be a primarily a blocker. But his usage in the Patriots offense was, you know, in the like – range between like well like 27 to 35 percent or so so he'll he'll get used a decent amount um he'll play special teams and and that's probably about the extent of what you need to know there right that's a big guy and definitely i think they brought him over because he has that 
a Patriot system down. He's a team leader, a guy who you see already at practice. Special teams, he's very vocal of guys where they should be and talking to younger guys. So he's a guy, along with Matt Collins, the same kind of way. He'll take ownership of, of that um, phase of the game. And plus, like you mentioned, it, he'll block. He'll block pretty well. And so he'll definitely open things up for the running backs where they are in, in this offense. All right, we'll save wide receivers for last. Let's talk about tight ends. Um, you know, we know it all starts with Darren Waller. Um, you know, and then, and then after that, it's, uh, you know, Foster Moreau, who we saw him have that really good rookie year. I think five touchdowns with a big red zone target. And, you know, then his role got reduced and we're kind of waiting to see is, is this the year that he blossoms and, um, you know, maybe becomes too expensive for the Raiders to, to resign going into next season. But, uh, Nick Bowers, Jacob Hollister, a couple other guys there, um, what do we think of this tight end group? I mean, I think if Foster Moreau can kind of get back to what he did as a, as a rookie and really expand on that, they have the potential to have uh, you know a pretty good two tight end system, and we know the Patriots' history of, of being able to utilize tight ends. Yeah, if anybody's able to figure it out, you would think it'd be Josh McDaniels with the way that they've, as you said, with those you know Gronk and Aaron Hernandez back in the day, or the two tight ends that they they paid big money last off season. But you know, I, th- I think you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of rotate in Waller kind of as a part-time receiver. I think we've seen that in years past where they're lining up outside as, as more of an X wide out. Um, and then maybe, you know, Foster Moreau can fill in as, as a traditional tight end attached to the line. And that could be a way where they can, you know, be in 12 personnel and get them both on the field while still having somebody who's a threat on the outside. I think, because uh, I've been asked about the, even though we're not talking about the receivers yet, I think Hunter Renfro and, and, and Devontae Allen will be the two receivers in that situation. I don't think, a lot of people, I think, view Renfro as like a slot-only guy, but I think he has a little bit more of a potential to play outside. And so I think their tight end group, you know, they they have kind of the, the guys who are more traditional tight ends, like a Jacob Hollister or, or Nick Bowers, who are more blocking guys and attached to the line. But they do have some good versatility at that position that allows them to mix up things with the offense overall. And so, um, you know, I think obviously Waller and Moreau are going to be the – how, how do you say pronounce, pronounce now? Moreau? Is that is that Moro. The, Moro. Yeah, Moro is? Moro. Moro. Foster Moreau. Yeah, he, Moreau. He, he made a big deal about it in training camp. Um, oh, is it? Oh, is it different? Yeah, I think he was saying is is Moreau. It's Moreau now. Yeah, he said he was. It's, it's, people, it's, not, it's not Moreau. It's Moreau. Yeah, he said he didn't want to correct the coaches because he was a rookie and, and didn't feel like that was his place. I think they're probably keep three tight ends. You know, I kind I think when we did our first fifty three man, I, I was saying four with both Jacob Hollister and Nick Bowers, but. You know, kind of with the depth that they have at receiver, and, and we'll talk about that. I think six receivers are going to make the roster probably instead of five. Uh, I think they end up keeping three tight ends, and, and I think Hollister would be the guy, being a more veteran guy um, and, and kind of more proven guy that has a little. He's, he's not really going to be much of a pass catcher, but he's a pretty good blocker and kind of give the the group some some balance. I, was say, I think Foster's got all the skills you want. I think he uh, obviously showed he can catch in the red zone. He can block a little bit. He's a good route runner. So. I thought he could have done more last year when Waller got hurt, but now he has another chance to kind of step up and earn a, a decent-sized role in this offense. So it's all it's all on Foster. We'll see what happens uh, this month. We'll see a lot of 12 personnel because Morrow's like a, a pretty good blocker, much better blocker than, than Darren Waller. So, you know, if you have Moreau there, you could do some different things with Darren Waller. You could split him out wide, and, you know, you could have Waller, Renfro, and Adams out there, which is a pretty good group, and you could keep Moreau in line. You know, I think they're going to try to run the ball, you know, and establish some sort of running game. And I, I think their best personnel group to do that could be their, their 12 personnel. So that's a grouping that I expect to see a lot. 
And I know the because Waller missed missed the last couple of practices, people were kind of freaking out. I don't think it's at least haven't received indication that it's anything too serious. Uh, I don't I don't think we're going to see him in the preseason anyway, but I think he should be fine in terms of long term health there. Moreau, I th- I think the one area you know Vicky talked about like kind of thought maybe maybe we'd see a little bit more out of him when Waller got hurt. I think the one area he he seemed to regress a little bit last season was actually in his blocking. That was you know we thought when he was drafted. The kind of the indications was he was a more of a blocking type tight end. And then he had a, a good season that rookie year as a receiver. And we kind of thought, oh, yeah, this could be kind of a, you know, he's not an, an elite tight end, but he could be kind of that two-way tight end. Last year, especially in like the pass blocking, it, it seemed like we saw him getting beat pretty badly quite a bit. And so I, I think that'd probably be the area for him to to grow is, is to show like, okay, I can be a better blocker. You know, people kind of know what I can do in the passing game when I'm given opportunities. But if he can show improvement as a blocker this year, um, to be able to allow you that flexibility to spend, to send uh, Waller out wide and know that he can kind of handle that inline role a little bit more. Um, I think that's, that's a good area of growth for him. That's a good call. I agree with you. You know, it's kind of confusing too, because he's, he's a really well-built guy and, and, fairly athletic so like there's really no reason why he should struggle as a blocker so maybe it was more of a technique fundamental thing that uh even though they don't have a tight ends coach specifically this year um Mick Lombardi has kind of filled in that role a little bit in practice along with you know the offensive line coaches a little bit so I'm sure that's been a point of emphasis for them we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's talk wide receivers. Uh, they've got a guy. Uh, who, who's the new receiver? What's his name? Devontae uh, Anderson? No, Devontae Adams. Um, I mean, arguably, if he's not the best receiver in football, he's in the top two, three, four, whatever. Um, Hunter Renfro coming off his first Pro Bowl season, 100 catches, 1,000 yards. You know, they, they traded away Brian Edwards, and they added, you know, some nice like, kind of middle-tier veterans, you know, Matt Collins, Keelan Cole, Demarcus Robinson, um, you know, three guys that, are they stars? No, but um, the guys that, that have experience, they can be relied upon to, to go in there and, and contribute. Um, and then it's, you know, okay, who, if they keep six, like you suggested to Sean, it's, the, you know, just Tyron Johnson, is he the, the speed threat that, uh, you know, that, that they want? Um, you know, Vic's guy, Dylan Stoner, you know, what are the other options there if, uh, if they want to go six deep at, uh, at receiver? Uh, I think it's I think it's T, T Billy is it as he's called um, Tyron Johnson. I mean he's really that's the only thing that you know I thought the receiving group was kind of missing was was that dynamic speed element. And Tyron's a guy that, that ran a four three coming out of coming out of college and you, know, you watch him out there. He obviously he still he still probably runs that. Devontae Adams is a really good deep threat, but it's more so about positioning and, and winning the jump ball. Same thing with Darren Waller, but but Tyron is, is that one guy that they have that can just run past people and and, and outrun them and so. 
you know, I, th- I think he's the favorite if they do keep six for that sixth slot. Or maybe he could surprise and beat out somebody like Keelan Cole, for example. He's had a pretty, pretty quiet, I would say, training camp and OTA period. I haven't seen a lot from him. I think Mac Hollins, of that group, Mac Hollins seems like a pretty strong lock. I mean, he's been running with the ones, I would say, most often at the other outside receiver spot. And he also plays a huge role on special teams. And speaking of special teams, I think that's that could be something that helps out Tyron Johnson if he he's able to fill in as that, that returner and take on that role that can kind of add to his value. Because I don't... Even though we've seen him out there doing a little bit, I, I can't imagine they still have Hunter Renfro out there taking back punts with the, with the money they just gave him. And so if Tyra can be a guy that's you know not just a speed element on offense, but can be a kick returner and punt returner, I think he can be a guy that, that justifies that, that six receiver slot. Yeah, I think it's a good group. I mean, you watch them in practice all the time. They look good from one through through six. Yeah, I mentioned Tyron Johnson had a good camp. And I think Keelan Cole gives him a guy who can you know, do some high point catches, tight line guy. He's a good route runner. So I think he's probably a guy who's one of those players you probably appreciate more in games than you do in, 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 a, in a training camp format. They know what he can do. I think Demarcus Robinson's kind of on the bubble. So I think if they keep four or five or you know maybe six guys, they're going to cut someone who probably will end up on a roster somewhere else. If they have good enough depth this year where that'll be the case. My guy Stoner, was, uh, that was last year's news. This is a new staff, and he's not uh, not my guy anymore. My guy now is, is Mac Holland. So uh, he's at a great camp. So I just think he's a guy who's coming in and shown they can do more than just, you know, make the catches in the red zone. He's got some speed. He's uh, got some route flexibility. can line up different spots. I think they like him a lot. So I think it's a it's a very good group. Another reason why the Raiders should be a top five offense. They don't need too much from uh, their number three guy, but they do need a guy that could stretch the field a little bit, you know. Obviously, that's what Demarcus Robinson did with the Chiefs, but yeah, just somebody who could threaten defenses deep and create a little more space underneath for Adams and Renfro and and Waller uh, could work is you know would be really helpful and would be very complimentary towards their skill sets. It's T. Billy, man, Tyron Johnson, that's him. But I, th- I think they have a like the versatility of their group. They have different guys from different areas of the field. Like Matt Collins, I think we'll see him a lot used a lot more often, like in the red zone, whereas. You know, maybe if it's a shorter intermediate kind of situation, maybe that's where you, you see Demarcus Robinson or Keelan Cole more. And so uh, I think that that spot is going to be pretty flexible, you know, even throughout possessions. You know, I think they're going to rotate that that other receiver spot. I don't think it's going to be. And I think Matt Collins said this when he spoke to us earlier in training camp. Like, even I don't even think, think that, that they think it's going to be like one guy that's like is locked in as the other outside starting receiver, you know, opposite of Devonta. This does lead into, you know, a little discussion about, Tomorrow's preseason game, uh, taking on the Jaguars, 5 p.m. Pacific, in the Hall of Fame game in Canton. I mean, I think if you talk about positions that you're excited to watch, that back half of the receiver group, you know, we're not going to see Devontae Adams. We're not going to see Hunter Renfro. Um, you know, probably not going to see Mac Hollins. But, you know, seeing those those guys toward the bottom of that receiver rotation, you know, do any of those guys emerge and come up and say, okay, this guy might be worth a 53-man spot? I mean, we looked at... Uh, the receiver group last season, uh, last preseason, and, and we're kind of penciling in. Yeah, it looked like all the spots were taken. And then suddenly we get to the third preseason game, and, and John Brown is playing, and we're like, what, what's going on there? And then you know he ends up being cut, and he, he was a guy we expected to be on the team. That's, I think, one position group where you will be kind of interested to see do any of these guys emerge and kind of create a surprise where one of those three veterans, like we discussed, you know, Cole, Holland, Robinson, one of those guys doesn't end up making the roster because they want to keep not only Tyrone Johnson, but another young guy that emerges. We don't think so going in, but those those become good problems to have if you have a guy from that, you know, from the bottom of that group that steps up and, and looks really good. 
Yeah, every year in camp, we see guys who have great practices, who look great in training camp, and the lights go on these, these you know, so-called real games, and they disappear, and these guys don't show up. Like, what happened to that guy? That guy was incredible, and he just disappeared. So I think that's why T. Billy, it's a big game from tomorrow night. I think he'll have a chance to play against some guys in the Jaguars here, the bottom half of the roster. So you should make some plays. You should be able to show ways done so far in camp and his confidence can carry over and he can be a playmaker for him in these games. That's important for him, I think, tomorrow night. Like, that's why he's top of my list as, as far as guys to watch in the game tomorrow night. Yeah, I'm kind of cheating, I guess. I'm more so focused on the unit. As we talked about the old line, I just kind of am really curious to see, for one, who doesn't play? Because I think that will kind of give us an in-line into like, who is viewed as being pretty much a surefire starter. Like Obviously, Colton Miller isn't going to be out there, but who else is joining him or who is out there and kind of still proving their their, their way a little bit? And so I think that, that just that dynamic will be something to watch. And then for guys that we haven't seen play in games, really, Lester Cotton, Dylan Parham as a rookie, Thayer Mumford even maybe, you know, like some of these guys that, that we haven't seen a lot out of, seeing how they perform when it's really – live action and then guys are going full go because even though preseason games aren't real games obviously like those guys are trying to win jobs so they're out there they're trying they're not half-assing it and so especially in the trenches it's it's probably the most intense part of the game and so that's what i'll be watching more than anything another side of the corner is who's playing in the second half who are guys who thought had a better shot than they they actually do and they're playing the second half of a game in canton like you know is otherwood playing tomorrow night in the second half of the game that'd be a, a big uh Telltale signs. So that was also the other side of the court of who's playing in, in the garbage time tomorrow night. Yeah, if we look back to last year, I remember the one guy that once the preseason game started, we kind of started, you know, really getting confirmation that wow, this guy could be pretty good, could be special. Was Nate Hobbs? Um, and so I, I think as you look to the secondary, that'll be big to see. Do guys there emerge? You know, Amik Robertson is a guy that he's kind of ridden this wave of who, who is he? You know, he what a fourth round pick and you know, really kind of quickly fell off with the previous staff. And now he's here with the new staff. And, and, you know, is he a guy that can come in? You know, what kind of a role does he have during the preseason? I mean, does does he not play tomorrow because, you know, they kind of know what they have? Or um, is that, that, that's one guy I, I think defensively kind of what his role is and, and what he's able to do might uh, might be pretty telling to see what kind of depth they might have in that cornerback group. I don't think he's going to play tomorrow because he did get hurt this past weekend. I think it was this past weekend. It was uh, some team drill, and he came up. I think it was like a leg injury. He came up hobbling and was trying to walk off, and he couldn't really walk it off. And so he hasn't been back since then. Also, some other cornerback, like Anthony Everett, hasn't been practicing recently. Rocky Sin. I, don't, I think those may be more like rest days. But Amik, I did see visually get hurt. Um, and so since he hasn't practiced since then, I would assume he's probably not going to play. But he was a guy that... Even in OTAs, like I saw him getting first team reps over Anthony Everett at times, and it also happened in training camp. And so it seemed like they saw something, at least in his game, that they liked despite his lack of size. And so if he's able to get back healthy, you know, I don't, you know, I have no idea, you know, timeline for that kind of thing. Maybe he's a guy that can get back in the mix. But outside of him, it's, it's, it seems pretty settled, you know, that it's, it's, you know, as long as Trayvon Mullen is out, that it's, it's Anthony Everett and Rocky Sin as the two top guys. But Amik was kind of, the, like you said, that wild card guy, seeing if he could. You know, make his way outside of him. I guess the only other guy is maybe Darius Phillips. He's more of a veteran guy um, who who can play inside outside. He was kind of banged up, but he came back the last couple of practices, and so maybe he's able to step up if Amik is not out there and, and show something. These coaches, they have a list of, of all the older other guys from the old regime that they inherited. And for the first impressions, yeah, you know, we like this guy, this guy, not so much. I do. I think Amik is definitely on that 
on that plus side, he's a guy who definitely kind of surprised him a little bit. They heard how, you know, he's small, he's undersized, but he attacks. He makes plays when he can, so I think they like what they've seen with him so far. Yeah, I think on defense, I'll be mostly looking, I guess I'm a trenches guy. I'm looking at the defensive defensive tackle group with Bilal Nichols and Jonathan Hankins still on the pup list. You know, they have until August 23rd to remove those guys to avoid them missing time during the season, so we'll see if that happens or not. But, you know, especially the rookies, um, Matthew Butler and Neil Farrell, they've been kind of buried a little bit at practice. Uh, but you figure those guys that are buried are the ones who's going to play the most in the preseason game, right? And so getting a good look at those rookies, see if they have anything and maybe be able to push for some roles um, because it's really open competition. It's been very rotational at both defensive tackle spots throughout training camp, I would say. Like Andrew, Andrew Billings is a guy who's maybe, you know, stood out a little bit, Kendall Vickers, but... Um, I think those jobs are pretty much up for grabs, especially if, you know, Nichols and, and Hankins miss any time going into the season. So I'll be looking to see what, what those guys have once once bullet starts flying. Big Clee Furl game. Big Clee Furl game. He's also hurt. <laughs> Everybody's, everybody from the last regime is hurt right now, so you don't get to see these guys. Do you think Malcolm Kuntz plays, or do you think he's established himself as kind of third rusher? So you, you think we'll see a lot of Malcolm Kuntz? Probably so. I mean, he was... Like Jerry Green was getting snaps over him at practice with because uh, Chandler Jones and Clee Farrell and, and Kyle Facker obviously on IR have all been out. And so they were pretty thin there at, at outside rusher, outside of Ch- not Chandler, uh, Max Crosby. And so even Jerry Green was getting some snaps. It was Coons was getting some as well. But, you know, he, if he's splitting snaps with Jerry Green, no offense to Jerry Green, I think, you know, we're going to see him playing tomorrow a good amount in the preseason game. And I think he's a he's another interesting guy from the previous regime because I think he fits the scheme a bit better since they play more multiple multiple looks up front. You know, he's more of a three, four outside linebacker guy. He's pretty small as a traditional defensive end. And so maybe when they go to more of those three, four fronts, he can become more of a, a force there as a, a speed rusher off the edge. All right, let's hit a few questions before we get out of here. We got this one from Luis Velasquez. Uh, there was great love for Basaccia by the players. Do you think this new coaching staff has similar buy-in? How do the interactions seem between the players and coaches? So good chance to talk a little bit about Josh McDaniels. I mean, what kind of demeanor are we getting from him out on the practice field? Um, do we sense a guy that, you know, he, he's talked about what he's learned since his last head coaching job. Um, what, do you, what do you guys see kind of from the interactions between McDaniels and the players? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't around, obviously, for his Broncos tenure, but it seems like he's a little bit more balanced in terms of uh, being an asshole and, and being a good guy out there. So, I mean, like, I, I know his clip went viral from him chewing out Malcolm Clintz from almost hitting Derek Carr, but that's not like a, you know, everyday thing. I mean, they, you know, they've gotten a lot of stuff for, for running laps at practice and all the kind of old school football stuff, but it's really nothing too crazy. Like, and, you know, it, it seems like, you know, there, there's good spirits out there. It doesn't, you know, obviously they aren't. Nobody's going to come on this podium and say, oh, we hate Josh. He's, he's terrible. But, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be as sort of my way or the highway militaristic as things were in his first go round with the Broncos. And it seems like the guys have taken to it pretty quickly in, in terms of the roster. So uh, it doesn't seem to be any issues in terms of the you know personal side of things. Yeah, I think every team loves their new coach at training camp. And there's no team that's like, oh, this guy sucks, you know. We freaking blew it, this guy. So I think there's optimism every camp at this time of year. I think Josh comes in, he flashes the six rings, just instant buy-in, like, this guy knows his shit. I was listening to him. So everyone's working hard. I think um, everyone's on the same page, and everyone's very positive. I think with Josh and Denver, you know, obviously adversity hit him. And how did he, how did he respond? Not well, Van. So we'll have to wait and see what happens the first time something goes wrong here. But uh, so far, everyone is very positive and excited about the offense, and Guys are running gassers day of practice every day in camp. So uh, definitely there's a hard work mentality that he's kind of uh, stressed they're buying into. So 
it's all good right now. We'll have to wait and see a little bit man, when things really uh, turn and things get real, as they say. But in camp, it's, it's, it's all love right now. All right, question here from uh, Hashtag Raider Nation. I feel there is a very realistic chance that the Raiders win 13 games, improving by three wins versus last year. That said, aside from being healthy, what do you see as the top one or two reasons as to why the Raiders win 13 games? The top one to two reasons why they do win 13 games. 13 and four, that's uh, probably an AFC West title, top two seed in the playoffs. That's, uh, that's feeling good. Josh McDaniels, coach of the year. Derek Carr, MVP. Zamir White, offensive rookie of the year. That, that's, that's, I mean, the top reason would be the presence of Devontae Adams, right? Making this a, a top five offense. I think number two, he asked for two, right? So I think the defense has to be like a fringe top 10 defense. I think that's going to be a thing because they can have a top. They can have a top five offense, but they're in shootouts every week. They're not going thirteen for it. So I think that defense has to be pretty good to to be up there amongst the likes of you know the Bills and the Chiefs and the other the top contenders in the AFC. And so I, I think that defense, which has a lot of injuries right now and, and is you know going through a big transition and, and going from Gus Bradley, who's a very simple defense coordinator, to Patrick Graham, who's a lot of versatility and impacts a lot of stuff in there. And so. I think the defense is going to have to surprise a lot of people. I think everybody expects the offense to be pretty good, but the defense is going to end. But if they end up being great, you know, maybe that's, that's how they end up getting to that path. It's a given Adams is going to be good, right? But for them to go 13 and 3, that means something. 13 and 4. 13 and 4. 13, 13 and 4. 4 sorry. 13 and uh, 4. Then they, they, need so, they need something unexpected to happen. So the offensive line would have to be a top 10 unit. The quarterback group has to have two pro bowlers on it. Okay, for 13 wins, the two the two reasons why they win 13 games this year, I'll go, one, Divine Diablo becomes a playmaker, a guy who makes plays and is a game changer. Divine Diablo. That's my guy. Divine Diablo. That's a guy who steps up this year. He's the X factor. And no one just two of them. And two of them, the second one, Brandon Parker is a pro bowl right tackle. Ooh. Those, those two things happen. They win 13 games. Wow. Okay. I am I'm pulling out the, the budget right now and I'm I'm assigning Vic major stories <laughs> Parker and Divine Diablo. If he is if they are the, the, the main reasons the Raiders I'm trying to play along because obviously Adams is great. So Adams will be great if they win thirteen <laughs> games, they win ten games, they win seven games. So for them to be elite and be like a top seed going in the playoffs, things have to happen, like Ted said, that are not expected. And those two things are what I'm going with. Those are my two. Number one, offense proves us wrong. Number two, the defense is pretty good. There we go. All right, I'll answer this quick question here from Ryan Hamilton. Um, he says, I assume Raider games will still be televised in the Bay Area as long as the 49ers don't have a home game at the same time slot. How long is this going to last for future seasons before we need Sunday NFL ticket to watch Raiders games in the Bay Area? Well, I think the good news is, you know, we're still kind of waiting to find out what exactly has happened with Sunday ticket, but it sounds like you know it's going to be a lot more accessible, not just being on direct TV. But essentially, that is a it's a, like a network decision. So if the Niners are playing on on Fox, um, you know, the local CBS affiliate gets their choice. Um, they are typically going to choose Raider games. Um, if the Raiders are not a good team at that point, if they're not interesting, if if you know if there is a better game on, then um, the local affiliate will choose the better game. So if the Raiders are interesting, you're almost never going to have to worry about it. Um, if the Raiders become boring, which oh, we do not expect, uh, certainly not this year, um, they, they should be 
you know, pretty good team and pretty interesting team. You're not going to have to worry about it. But um, where it becomes a concern is if, you know, if this team starts falling off a cliff and they're a, a four or five win team that is not playing interesting games. But as long as they're interesting, um, most likely the local affiliate will be picking the Raiders game. Um, so you should be in good shape for uh, for a while here and uh, should be in good shape most of the season. I would imagine I haven't looked at the exact breakdown of the schedule but uh you know we've been pretty lucky i think since they moved to vegas there's been maybe one game that did not there was one game that did not appear on bay area tv um in two seasons so uh we've we've been lucky here to uh to not have to to worry about that too much so and i mean they're gonna have what four primetime games this year so they'll get a lot of primetime games and you'll generally be all right all right guys we've got football on thursday Raiders get to play in the Hall of Fame game. Not the most exciting game in the world, usually, uh, but it is uh, It is the night that everybody celebrates the return to football. So uh, enjoy watching it, and uh, you know, we'll be back next week to kind of talk a little bit about the game. And obviously, uh, Vic, Deshaun, uh, you guys will be following along and, and writing about it. And uh, we'll be back uh, really every week from here on through uh, however long this Raider season goes. All right, y'all. See you next week. Adios. Later, guys. I do think the Adams and the Challenge Jones signings definitely indicate they're pushing the, the go button for whatever a go button is. They're pushing the. Uh... <laughs> Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.